0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours through the suffering, death, and resurrection of your savior, Jesus, who died that you might live, amen. Dear fellow Christians, have you ever puzzled over what role emotion is supposed to play in our faith, in our religion? It's not an easy question. Uh, We know that there are many denominations now who emphasize emotion, almost to the exclusion of all else, certainly as as the most important element. And there's a certain element of that, there's a certain characteristic of that in us, where admit when when you go to watch a movie, for example. And it's emotive, that is, it creates emotion. You cry at the end, or you yell with joy because the boys in the boat win the race, or some aspect of this fills you with a positive emotion. And then you go and tell, it was a great movie, why? Well, I guess because it made me happy, or... So how do we take that, which is a natural component of being human, how do we take that natural desire to be filled with positive emotion and how does that work in connection with God's word? Is that supposed to be the driver? Is that supposed to be the thing that comes after naturally? This morning in our text, we continue with that whole, that whole question of temptation James told us in our first reading it doesn't come from God because temptation has as its goal sin, and God never wants us to sin. Our second reading, Jesus was himself tempted but resisted through the power of God's word, which is also there for us. In our sermon text, we find out what God does do to human beings, which is not to tempt but to test. And yet, even knowing that, the question is still there, what part is emotion supposed to play in this account? Hear that account in Genesis 22, the familiar account, I'm sure to you, of God telling Abraham that he must sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, So they went, both of them, together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is God's word, that God would bless, instruct, comfort us through the study of his word also this morning, so we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is true. Amen. test, tempt, natural consequence. Those are our three options, aren't they? With everything that happens to us in life, good or bad, those are the three things that are possible, the three causes. Either God is testing us, And again, God can test us through positive and negative, can't he? I think one of the greatest tests that God gives us is wealth. So test, tempt. The devil through this is trying to tempt me to sin or just natural consequence. It's neither the devil tempting or God testing. This is just what happens in a sin-broken world. So to get a handle on this, start little and then work your way up. You oversleep maybe, you get up a little bit late, you just are really upset with that alarm clock when it goes off and you doze a little bit and then you find you don't have much time. So you get up and you gotta get to work. So you go through your morning routine and you walk out to your car and you've got, you're have got you trying to carry too much, but you think you can do it, and you open the door, and you try to get in, and you find yourself wearing your morning coffee. So what just happened? Is, is the devil tempting me? Because it was really hot, and I'm really tempted now to be really upset and say things I shouldn't. Is God testing me? Or is this just what happens when I'm too stupid to get to sleep early enough, get up early enough, and not try to carry too many things? There's something, a a rule of thumb that we want to remember about God's word in connection with everything that happens in life, and that is if we're not given a specific answer to a specific question, then we don't need to know the answer to that question. And in connection with something like this, think about it. We don't need to know if something was a test from God, a temptation from the devil, or just natural consequence because we know how we're supposed to react. And it's always without sin. Now, Joe take that example, something as goofy as spilling your coffee on yourself. It's, it's like a minor thing, but I can use that. I can use that if I'm wise. I don't have to know if God caused that to test me or if the devil said, ah, I'm going to have him spill his coffee and hopefully he'll curse God or whatever sin he hopes to get out of it. I don't need to know that. I can use it, though. I can use the pain of scalding coffee in my lap to think, you know what, I... This makes me thankful that I don't have to suffer eternal torment in hell, in the lake of fire, because Jesus rescued me from that. I can look down at my new wardrobe and think, you know, think about how... I, I can't go into the office or to work or whatever like this, but think of how immeasurably more embarrassing it would be to have to stand before my God on Judgment Day with the stain of sin and unbelief, to be at Judgment Day uncovered by the robe of Christ's righteousness. So You can do that. You can, that can be your reaction. Or you can just say, you know what, I need to be more careful with my coffee. They're all possible. They're all good. There's nothing wrong with it. We don't need to know. Did God do this? Did the devil do it? Did I do it to myself, just as a natural consequence of my clumsiness? (laughs) All right, so that's relatively insignificant, but we're working our way up. Now imagine it's not so insignificant. You're driving to work, somebody runs a red light and hits you and paralyzes you. Or worse, they do that to your spouse or your child. Christians want to know... They tend to want to know. They tend to ask always in those more serious cases, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And then it's easy to shift into the blame game. Why did God allow this? Or why did God do this to me? And the answer is in all but the rarest of cases, we don't know and we never will know why this happened. We do know that God controls life. No one can end our life without God's permission. But we won't be able in life to say, oh, God did this because of that. Or the devil's doing this. Or accidents happen. So we're working our way up to more and more... Important, life-changing things. With that, we turn finally our attention to our text for this morning, and this takes the whole discussion to a whole other level, doesn't it? Because it's one thing when bad things happen to us in life, happen to us. But here's an example where God told Abraham to do it to himself. I mean, it's bad enough Isaac. I mean, it's an interesting study, isn't it? To think about Isaac, now our text refers to him as translated as boy, twice. I'll take the boy, but he's probably not a boy. The word can also be any unmarried young man, whatever age he was. So I'll take this young man with me. Abraham's old. So we read sort of casually, Abraham bound Isaac. There's a certain faith indicated on the part of Isaac, too. You dads know that there was a certain point at which you didn't mess with your kids anymore. You pretended you could still take them, but you didn't try to prove that point. So there was a certain faith going on with Isaac, too, to allow himself to be bound. We don't know exactly how that went, but interesting thought. But God had told Abraham, and here, by the way, this is one of those rare cases where even in Bible times, we're told why God did this, and that God did it. Our text says, after these things, God tested Abraham. So there we have one of those rare cases this isn't the devil doing it to tempt. This isn't just natural consequence. Well, how could it be that? This was God. But think now. Again, we get back to that emotion. Is, this, is that what would make this come alive? Is that what we're supposed to do with this? Are we supposed to inject or allow our human emotion to get involved? And that's what will make this come alive for us. Well, there's nothing wrong with doing that, with looking at it from an honest perspective emotional perspective even to gain a sense of what's going on here so ask yourself god just asked you or just commanded of you not let something happen to you i want you to do something right now that will change your life forever measurably to the worst I want you to take your beloved son and slaughter him. Now, if you let that sink in, especially if you happen to have a child and apply that to yourself, that's part of how we become a participant in this. So, There's nothing wrong with that, to really understand, to to try to form an opinion or grasp... What was, had to be going on with Abraham here and the measure of the faith that was, had been given to Abraham in that not only did he do what God said, but our text says early in the morning he rose, saddled his donkey, and took his two men and Isaac. He not only obeyed, he, he did it first thing and we're kind of tainted by watching television shows. We come to imagine that every problem in life can be solved in half an hour, less commercials, or maybe an hour if it's a movie or two. <clears throat> it's hard for us to read this and recognize that that the passage of time must have also taken a toll because It wasn't, though we can read in just a few moments, God said, sacrifice your son. Abraham said, okay, he went and he did, but the the Lord said, don't do it. Now recognize the timing where God told Abraham, how would you sleep that night? How would you, what would be going through your mind? I'm sure it had to be going through Abraham's mind. Kill my son? But he gets up, and he goes. And that journey isn't five minutes, just go to the backyard. And it's day's journey, and he's walking with his young man and his son, all the while, kill my son? I'm sure he was waiting for some other message. But he kept doing it, and there was more here, wasn't There. God had already promised him. And that had to be going through Abraham's mind. God promised me that my descendants would be as innumerable as the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And yet now God is saying, kill your son before he has even one child. But but God promised. And now he wants me to kill my son. And day after day, He's walking, going through all of this. And why is this such a tremendous faith? Not because Abraham understood, because we're told God tested Abraham. Abraham wasn't told that. Abraham was just said, go to a place I'm going to show you and kill your son. And so Abraham just obeyed, just did what God said even though this was contradictory. I trusted you, your promise. I have to continue trusting that. And by the way, it wasn't just descendants, wasn't it? It was the descendant. So this wasn't just, hey, you promised to give me a big family. God had said in your family, all nations on earth will be blessed. That is, the Messiah is going to be one of your descendants. So not only is God now saying, kill your son so you can't have lots of, offspring descendants but he seems to be destroying that gospel promise and yet God had told him to do this so his recourse was just to obey and he gets to the very point where he is going to obey but there's some other stuff at work with Abraham because he trusted God's promise He knew that God must find a way through because God will keep his promise. I would just love to have heard the thought process as Abraham walked day after day with his son toward that mountain where he's supposed to sacrifice him. But God promised. God always keeps his promises. He promised to send the Messiah. He will do that. And he promised it would come from my family. And you see a little bit of evidence, masked a little bit in our text, Because what Abraham actually said to his young men is, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come again to you. He used a plural there. So Abraham, think, God will keep his promise. I don't know how he's going to do it. That's not up to me. But I am going to obey, and I'll leave the keeping of the promise to God. And he kept going and kept going to the very point of the hand on the knife. And then, oh, the emotion of, of that response to God. Abraham, finally, here I am. Don't do it. Of course there's going to be emotion in that. But the emotion isn't the driver. The emotion teaches us something about what's truly important, which is that Abraham didn't allow his emotion to dictate his actions, did he? As those emotions assaulted him, as they surely did, it was still obey. It was still listen to what I told you and do it. Do not let that emotion short circuit my command to you because I've got a plan. And you don't understand it yet, but you will. And God provided. And that's the key to this whole thing, isn't it? God provided. Abraham insisted on that. God promised, God will provide. And he saw that as the key to this whole thing, didn't he? Because we read... God will provide, he said to his son. And then afterwards, when it was all done, he named that place. On the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. He gave it a name that said, God will provide. That's what he had to remember. God will keep his promises, and though we can't see how he'll keep them, with our logic, our understanding, our comprehension of the way things work, God can be trusted to do that. But there's one more thing in this text, isn't there? If we really want to be a participant in this, so again, it's not wrong to let our emotion speak to us about what Abraham was going through, but where do you really participate in this whole account? I'd suggest that we don't really participate as we should until we see ourselves somewhere here and where do you where are you supposed to see yourself and it's it's there tied up on the altar bound helpless with the knife raised to kill you because that's us that's where we find ourselves we justly were on that altar of god we were waiting for God to justly end our life and send us to eternal torment because of our sins. The picture of Jesus in all this is obviously not Isaac because he was not sacrificed. The picture of Jesus is the ram. And it's interesting that you read, if you read carefully, and when God stopped Abraham he looked behind him and there behind him caught in the thicket was a ram. Impossible solution to this problem. I'm just going to obey God. And then God shows him something that he didn't see, couldn't see, behind him because God provided it. That's the picture of Jesus. The ram did nothing wrong. The ram was just offered as a substitute for me, for you as we lay bound by our sin on the altar of God's just judgment with no recourse, no way out, and God said, you're not going to die. I've provided. I've provided a substitute. My son. My son who did nothing wrong. My son will get what you deserve. Think of the irony in this. Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son. God said, I will sacrifice mine. So finally take from this, everything that we're supposed to, as much as you can carry with you from this account, because you will encounter problems, you won't be able to identify, is the devil doing this, is God doing, doesn't matter. What you can take from this is this God who didn't spare his own son, who laid on him the iniquity of us all, there's no problem too great for him. I may not see how he's going to fix it. I may not even recognize how he did fix it when it's done. But I know, I know, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Amen.